If you're here uh, for the first time or you haven't been here um, in a while, uh, we just got into a series about discipleship, and last week we kicked it off by defining what a disciple was. And we said that a disciple is someone who has experienced God's grace to such a degree that they have decided to follow Jesus, that they've decided to live a life of obeying Jesus and walking with Jesus. So in essence, a disciple of Jesus is someone who is experiencing a grace-induced obedience of following Jesus. And today, we're going to continue in our discipleship series talking about making disciples, You see, when you look at Scripture, it tells us that every real disciple makes disciples. And we're going to talk about that today, what it means for us to make disciples. And I also kind of want to focus in on this. Many of you have been Christians for some time, and you know you are a disciple of Jesus. And yet, you're not making disciples. I want to talk about why. And I want to take some time and unpack that with you. And I think that as we unpack some of the reasons why we don't, we'll see the grace of God and he will shine through to move us to obey him. And so if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. We're going to read the first seven verses. And here Paul is uh, writing uh, to his disciple, Timothy, uh, in Ephesus, and he is in jail. And so if you give your attention to God's word, this is 2 Timothy 2, I'll start at verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would now speak to us. I pray that nothing that is spoken now would just be my words. But I pray that the Holy Spirit would now speak. Because we know that this is the desire of your heart to see true disciples make disciples. I pray that you would now transform the soil of our hearts. If we have soil in our hearts that's not ready to receive, Holy Spirit, please address it and help us to receive your word in a way that will help us produce fruit. We trust you to do this. We look to you to do this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Making disciples is what we're talking about today, Um, and in this passage, Paul addresses this to Timothy, but I want to give you a little bit of context of what's going on here in Scripture. So 2 Timothy is actually the last letter that Paul writes, and he writes it to Timothy, but the context in which he gives this letter is actually a context of great turmoil. In this time, the great leader of the church movement, the Christianity, gospel, Jesus movement, has been imprisoned. He's been arrested, put in jail, and he's waiting his execution. And that's been a catastrophic event that took place in the church. And so there are many people who are wondering if Christianity is going to make it, because it seems like it's been cut down by Paul's arrest and his uh, soon impending execution. And in the midst of this, there's been these huge defections and desertions 
of the faith. In fact, when you go back to the first chapter, and I encourage you to read the first chapter. I wish we had more time to look at it. But when you look at the first chapter, Paul speaks in hyperbole, and he says, all of Asia has turned away from the faith. All of Asia has turned away from me. You know how many people live in Asia? A lot of people. He's speaking in hyperbole, right? Because it seems like everyone is turning away. That everyone who seemed to be a disciple turned away. This is how dire the situation is for Paul. And because he's in prison, their leader is in prison, and all these people are turning away from the faith. When you look at the first chapter, Paul says the same thing again and again. He says, don't be ashamed. I know you see all this happening, but don't be ashamed of the gospel. And don't be ashamed of me. You know, even today, to have your father in prison is a very shameful thing. But back then, it was even worse in this deeply honor and shame culture that their leader is in prison. And he said, but I'm telling you, the gospel is not in chains. The gospel is not imprisoned. Even though I am in chains, the gospel is not in chains. So don't be ashamed and do not turn away. And in this context, he writes to Timothy, who he loves. And he wants to check in on Timothy and make sure that Timothy is not going to abandon the faith. Read verse 1 with me again. He says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. To me, that sounds like a parent who says, I know that everybody at your school is going this way, but you're my son. You're my daughter. Even though everybody else is, you can't. You must stand. He says, you then, my child, you be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You don't turn away, even though it seems like everybody in Asia is turning away. You don't abandon the faith. Be strengthened. He's in, in exhorting Timothy, whom he loves. And I think he has a concern that Timothy might turn away. And maybe it's because of the way he's brought up. If you know anything about Timothy, you know, um, his personality is that he was a little bit timid. Maybe there was some fear that he had harbored. Maybe there was some insecurity that he harbored. Maybe because he didn't have a dad. If you read the letters, he always addressed your mom and your grandma, but never his dad. So maybe in a time that you were defined by your father and your father's name, and that honor and shame culture, maybe Timothy didn't have a dad. Maybe he grew up with a little bit of insecurity. And Paul knows this, and he's checking up on Timothy, and he's telling him, don't give up. You cannot, at this moment, desert the faith in a time when everyone else seems to be turning away. And he calls him to remain faithful to the call. And the thing that he calls him to be faithful to is not this general kind of just keep your faith in Jesus, but he calls him to very specific things. Read verse 1 and 2 with me. This is what it means for Timothy not to abandon the faith, but remain faithful. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He calls him to raise up real disciples and invest in people and teach people and raise up real disciples in a time when there's this vacuum of disciples. 
You see, the the desertions and the defections have left this vacuum of leaders and true disciples of Jesus Christ. And so situationally, he has to raise up more leaders because the situation is really bad. But it's actually more fundamental than that. He's saying you cannot turn away from the true calling of what it means to be a disciple. To be a disciple means you make disciples. And Timothy, just because everybody else is not doing this, everybody else is turning away, you, my son, you must engage in the work of truly making disciples. That's what it means to be a disciple. He's calling him here to more than just proclaiming the gospel, but the faithful work of walking with people and raising them up in the faith. That's what's important. George Whitfield, he was uh, preaching to thousands of people, and he was actually, in fact, preaching to more people than have ever been preached to at one time before. How he did that, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I'm wearing a microphone, uh, but he was able to preach to a thousand people without one. And I'm not sure how he did that, but he was able to do that. That's what he was famous for, these big revival meetings. And he preached to more people than had ever been preached to before. And afterwards, a journalist, a news reporter came up to him and he said, Dr. Whitfield, you have just preached to more people than have ever heard the gospel at once. How many people were saved? And I love his answer because he looked at the journalist and he said, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait six months. We'll have to wait a year. Let's wait and see. And this is what he meant by that. Yeah, people could raise their hands. Yeah, people could pray the sinner's prayer. But you're asking me how many people were actually saved. How many people were our true disciples? I don't know. You have to let them walk and let, let them be tempted and let them be tried and let them persevere in the faith. And then we'll see if they're true disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, what he's not saying is that they're going to have to earn their salvation now. He's not saying that. But he's saying the authenticity of their faith will have to see. We'll have to see. Are they true disciples who will walk with Jesus and make disciples? That's what true disciples do. My brothers and sisters, we are also in a time when it seems like true disciples are scarce. It also seems like a time when Leaders who multiply true disciples are scarce. It seems like we're also living in this time, and I want to tell us that today we need to hear this call that true disciples make disciples. Now, as soon as you hear that, you're thinking, but I don't make disciples. And you know that you are a true disciple. You know that you are a follower of Jesus, but you're thinking, but I don't do that. And I want to talk about why. I want to talk about why. There are three reasons why that I want to cover before we get to the end. Number one, the first reason why I think we don't make disciples, even though we are disciples, is I think that many of us, we don't know we're supposed to. We didn't know that we were supposed to maybe before today. And I want to tell you today that you have to have this clearly and with conviction in your heart. And I think that one of the reasons that we maybe don't know that we're supposed to is that I realize that people come to faith very differently and in different kind of contexts. And there are some of you who came to faith after receiving just half the invitation. The invitation to faith being, believe in Jesus and he'll take you to heaven. Believe in Jesus, he'll save you from hell. And you got that much and you said, that sounds good. And you said yes to that. And, and you received half of the invitation. Whereas when you look at the New Testament and the way that Jesus calls people to faith, it's not that. 
It's come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Pick up your cross and follow me. Anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of me. Come, work with me. Follow me. Align your life to me. Come, follow me and be a disciple. That's the full call. And some of you never heard that before. And that's why maybe you, didn't, you haven't been making disciples. And so I want to tell you today that when you look in the Bible... And I want to be sensitive about this because some of you are new believers. You've been a Christian and you've been following Jesus maybe for three weeks, three months, pretty new to the faith, less than six months you've been. And I want you to tell you, be patient with this and continue to receive from the Lord Jesus Christ in your spiritual infancy. But eventually, you'll get here, and that is this. When you look in the Bible, there's no such thing as a disciple who doesn't make disciples. Some of you are new to the faith, and that's okay. But some of you are not. But when you look in Scripture, there's no such thing as a disciple, a true disciple who doesn't make disciples. That's an anomaly. And so I want to tell you that the call to discipleship rests on us all, and that we need to know that that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's why Paul here gives three pictures of what it means to do this. The first picture is the picture of a soldier. The second was a picture of an athlete. The picture of a farmer is the last one. And some of you have heard sermons, and sometimes we have looked at this, where these three images are kind of plucked out of context and just taught to us, kind of in this a vague, um, no context, kind of it just means to generally be a Christian, is like being a farmer, is like being an athlete, is like being a soldier. But I want to tell you that the context in which these three pictures are given to us is in the context of raising up disciples. Within the context of that command to raise up disciples, and he says, you raise up disciples like a soldier, you raise up disciples like an athlete, you raise up disciples like a farmer. And so the first one, Paul says, you need to be like a soldier. And a soldier knows the aim of his commanding officer, and he knows how to please his commanding officer. In a sense, he's saying a, a soldier knows his marching orders. He knows his orders. He's talking about making disciples. Do you know your orders? I'm talking to those who are here who believe in and follow Jesus Christ. Do you know your orders? He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now it's important for us to know what our orders are and it is to make disciples. Along the same lines, uh, people might say, I just don't have the time. I just don't have the time to make disciples. And I think it's the same thing. It's not so much that you don't have the time. It's just that you don't know that this ought to be a priority because you have time for the things that are priorities in your life. But you, some of you didn't know this whole time that making disciples, investing into people, raising up other Christians, you didn't know this whole time that that was your call. And so therefore you have not prioritized your time to do it. I want no one here to be unclear about this. True disciples make disciples. Those are the only kind of disciples that exist in Scripture. 
And in order for us to follow that, you're going to have to create time and even, as it says, suffer. Share in the suffering as a good soldier. That means you aren't going to be able to do everything that you want to do. A good soldier does not get entangled in civilian pursuits, he says. He has orders. And so as a good soldier, we should know our orders. And I want to tell you today, my brothers and sisters, with all the love in my heart, I want to tell you that this is costly. That to follow Jesus and to make disciples as a disciple is not something you could do five minutes a day. This is a costly endeavor. And I don't want to pull punches. I talked to some people after last week's sermon. And some people said to me, it sounds like you don't want me to follow Jesus. That you're kind of pushing me away from Jesus. And I'm not saying that at all. Not at all. With all my heart, I want you to know and love Jesus. And yet, I want you to know and love the real Jesus. Not a halfway invitation to heaven, but the real Jesus who has told you, pick up your cross and follow me, and that is paradoxically going to be the best, most joyous path in your life. But it's costly. And I want to tell you that. I want to give you the full picture. Some of you didn't know, and that's why you're not making disciples. I pray that today it would be clear to everyone in this room. Secondly, why don't we make disciples? Second reason is we don't know how. Uh, This is the reason that I've heard the most, is that people say, "I I don't know how to disciple, and I've never been discipled. I don't have a discipler. Nobody took me under their wing and discipled me. This is the reason I get the most often. But I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, please, if that's you, please, please do not be discouraged. Look, if you're here in in this room and you have that one discipler, that spiritual sensei in your life who raised you up as a spiritual child and that you could call today, if you have a sensei like that, a spiritual sensei like that, if you have somebody like that, can you raise your hand? Okay. There's some of you here today, more than the first service. But on the other hand, if you don't have anybody like that, because I don't, that one person who raised you up in the faith, but actually, if you think about your spiritual walk, it was more like you were raised in a village, raised by a village of believers, of older brothers and sisters who poured into you, maybe not for your entire life, maybe for seasons they loved you and taught you and left fingerprints in your life. If you were raised more by a village than a patriarch, if you feel like that's you, can you raise your hand? Okay. I think that that's more of us. I think that for the most part, Christians, for the most part, don't have that one sensei that kind of raised you up, but we have all been pouring into each other, raised in a community. And my brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, do not let that discourage you if that's your story. If that's your story, don't let that discourage you from raising disciples. Just because you didn't see it in that model, that one person who raised you up since you were a spiritual infant, just because that never happened to you, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. And most of all, believe in the fact that if this is his call for you as a disciple, then the Lord Jesus Christ will supply you with every need that you have in order to be obedient to this call. 
Read 2 Corinthians 9.8 with me. In 2 Corinthians 9.8, this is what Paul says when he's talking about how do we give and serve the Lord. He says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. He's trying to be comprehensive, right? So that you may abound in every good work. He's saying to you, don't worry. Everything he's called you to, he will make sure you lack for nothing. He will provide for you. Even if you didn't grow up with that spiritual patriarch. Imagine how Timothy feels. Growing up without a a dad or a spiritual father. Move with God. And I think that what we need to do instead of look to our training and trust in how we were raised up is we need to prepare our minds to know that God is preparing you, right? And that's a different mindset. So that when you receive a sermon about anxiety and it really speaks to you, we have to have the mind of an athlete that knows that that's not just given to you for you, that's given to you so that you could be a blessing unto others. That has been given to you because you are being trained like an athlete. Everything that you receive, brothers and sisters, is not just so that you could be blessed, but everything is given to you so that you can bless others, right? You are only, you shall be a blessing. And so everything you receive, you receive with that mindset of giving to somebody else. And when we have this mindset, the clarity of a soldier, the training mentality of an athlete, then the Lord begins to prepare us to make disciples with our life. The last thing. The last thing that he gives us that we need and the last reason why we don't make disciples is probably the reason underneath all the reasons and that reason is we lack faith. I think we lack faith. I think we lack faith that if we give of our time to invest in people and to raise up disciples that we will be happier than if we just hoarded that time. I don't know if we believe that. I think we lack faith. I think that we lack faith that if we trust the Lord, then he will bear fruit, that he can overcome our weaknesses and shortcomings, all the things that you are ashamed of. You're not sure if the Lord can overcome all those things and make disciples through you. Do you believe it? Some of us are lacking in faith, and we we need to ask the Lord, increase our faith. That's why he gives us the farmer in making disciples. Read verse 6-7 with me. It says this, this is, the hard, this is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. You see, a farmer needs to have faith that the work that he's putting in will yield a harvest. Every time I go to Home Depot, I see these flower seeds. And it looks so nice on the seed bag. I think, man, maybe I should get that. But then on the side of Home Depot, there's a garden center. And there are flowers that are already bloomed. And I always pick the ones that are already bloomed. Because even though the pictures look nice on the seeds, I don't know about you, I always think, I don't think it's going to grow, right? I don't think it's going to work. So I say, I'll just get the flowers that are already bloomed. A farmer needs to have a tremendous amount of faith that the investment that he puts into the ground will yield the harvest, right? My brothers and sisters, We need to increase in our faith, that he can overcome your weaknesses, that he can overcome all the things that you're doubting in order for you to make disciples and obey the calling that he gave to you when he first called you to follow him. 
And I want to give you this. Last week, I said that some of us are still trying to grow as adults the way that we were when we were spiritual babies. When we were spiritual babies, we need a lot of nutrition. Just take in, take in, take in, and we grow pretty quickly as spiritual babies. But when we enter into adolescence and spiritual adulthood, the later stages of spiritual growth, you can't just keep consuming and expect to grow. You need to put off sin, as uh, Scripture says, right? And if we don't do that part, then we will seldom grow if we're not working at putting off sin at the same time. You can't just gorge. Today, I want to give you another aspect in which we try to grow as babies. You know, we try to grow sometimes just by learning more things about faith. And I want to tell you that as you advance in faith, you need to do more than just hear about faith in order to grow in faith. You need to do now something new. You need to take steps of faith. You need to do things that are a little bit scary, and you don't have all of the faith yet, but you need to take steps of faith in order for God to increase your faith. You see, very rarely when God calls you to something, he downloads all the faith, and you're like, I'm ready. I have all the faith that it requires, and then you go. Very rarely that happens. Very rarely that happens. As we grow in the faith, the Lord has us take a step of faith before we have all the faith required. And then as we step forward in faith, he increases our faith. Have you ever experienced something like that? Isn't that what Annie was just sharing here today? That sometimes we have to take steps of faith before he increases our faith. But we still try to grow as babies, just learning more stuff and learning more stuff and learning more stuff and expecting to grow without taking the steps of faith. And when we do that, there's also a danger. Not only do we not grow, because we're trying to be babies all the time, not only do we not grow, but also we open ourselves up to false teaching. You see, in the New Testament, Paul talks about something called itching ears, itchy ears. And he says to Timothy, Timothy, be careful because in the last days, people will have itchy ears and they will want to hear new things and they will want to hear more clever things and new insights. And the things that they heard at church, it's like, ah, oh, it's the same old sermon. I know this stuff already. And then they're going to go pursue, oh, that's kind of new. That's a different angle. That's an interesting twist. And they will have itching ears to try to hear new things. And he says, be careful, but be faithful to the truth. My brothers and sisters, when we want to just keep learning without taking steps of faith, we develop itchy ears. And we just want to hear more clever teaching, more ingenious truth, more innovative presentations. And that's not how faith grows. I wish it was like academics, because it would be easier. But faith is not like academics. Faith needs to be practiced in order for it to increase. You need to take steps of faith in order for it to grow. Think about the most mature Christians that you know. Are they the people who know the most? Are they the people who have learned the most, with the most degrees and the most innovative ways of looking at faith? Not really. It's those people who have taken steps of faith and you see their faith not widened with new stuff, but it's the people who have deep faith because they've taken things that you know and they've lived it out. They've persevered. They've taken steps of faith. My brothers and sisters, as you grow, 
You will not take the next step of faith increase unless you take steps of faith. And I know that can be scary, but the Lord will supply. The Lord will supply if you obey and take these steps. What's that step for you? Who's that person that the Lord is putting on your heart that he's calling you to invest in, to love? What's the scary step of faith that he has set before you and you're waiting for a faith download before you could do it? He increases your faith as you go. And I pray that you would know what it means to be filled and fed as an adult of faith by filling others. In John 4, Jesus is speaking with the Samaritan woman, and he's pouring out into this woman. And as he's doing that, the disciples go and go get him food because he has not eaten in a while. And they come back, and Jesus actually tells them that he doesn't really need food. And they're wondering, how can that be true? Because we didn't get you food. Did you make bread again, like miraculously, and feed yourself? Like, why are you not hungry? And Jesus, after pouring out into the Samaritan woman, this is what he says in John 4, verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food, how I get filled, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Now, I pray that you pray about that because the Lord will make that plain to you. You need to discover that, especially if you're further along in your faith. You need to know this. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. He says, I'm full and I'm fed, not by receiving, but by doing the work of him who sent me. As spiritual adolescents, as spiritual adults, we need to learn what it means to have obedience increase our faith and to feed us instead of sitting there always like baby birds with our mouths open. My brothers and sisters, when you take flight, I know it's scary, but as you take these steps of faith and you invest in people, the Lord will bring you a fullness and he will give you a joy and the Holy Spirit will work in you. He continues in verse 35 and he says to them, do do you not say there are yet four months and then comes harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and reaper may rejoice together. He says, you need to learn something, disciples. I'm full because I do the work of him who sent me. Why do you say you're not ready? Why do you say four more months into the harvest? Why do you keep saying that? Lift up your eyes and see the fields. They are white with harvest. There is food there for you to eat. There is nourishment and spiritual growth in the next phase of your spiritual life waiting for you. The fields are white with harvest, but you will have to work them. You will have to take out steps of faith and enter into them. Don't say you're not ready. My brothers and sisters, this is what the Lord is calling us to. Real disciples make disciples. I know that's scary to invest in people. But as we do that, he has a tremendous amount of fulfillment and grace awaiting you in your next stage of growth. Last thing I'll say is this is how you get strengthened by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll end by looking at verse one again. He says this, you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How do you get strengthened by the grace of Jesus? 
Well, there are some times when you're strengthened when you're reminded of his grace, right? You're reminded of his grace and mercy here at worship, and you're strengthened by it. But you know what's another way you're strengthened by grace? Is when you take a step of faith, and you go, oh my gosh, I can't do this. And you start to fail, and then you are strengthened by the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah? And as you take steps of faith, and he strengthens you, he begins to nourish you, mature you, grow you, and give you that joy that comes from being his disciple. I pray you learn something about that and that the Lord give you that joy because there's nothing better. Let's go to him in prayer.